Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation changes? When you work with Edward Jones, they focus on what's important to you. You'll work together and use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And they'll partner with you to help your strategy stay on track. Visit edwardjones.com or stop by the office of Todd Nash in Coralville, Jeff Rudolph, or Scott McGill in Iowa City, or or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. Welcome to the Hawkeye Hotspot Podcast here on hawkfanatic.com. Rob Howe joined as always by Scott Docterman from The Athletic. Scott is on the road. Uh, we're recruiting the, uh, recording this, recruiting, Freudian slip there, uh, recording this on Thursday, December the 9th, about 9.15 a.m. Central Time. Recruiting obviously will be a big part of today's discussion, along with a review of the uh, collapse, I guess, or uh, whatever that was that happened in Indianapolis on Saturday night. And we got a couple basketball games to talk about, um, several basketball games to talk about. So plenty to get on with today. Scott, you're in Ames. Uh, you've got some duty over there today, uh, including the Iowa men's game tonight, which is what, eight o'clock tip? Yeah, it's a late one. I don't know if I'll stay up all night. <laughs> these, late, these late tips are getting to me now. Yeah, I mean, I'm over here. I figured I would stick around because uh, yesterday I was at, at Southeast Polk for Xavier and Wampa's uh, commitment ceremony and heading up today to go visit uh, Aaron Graves. Uh, and really, stories like this fascinate me. Um, when you get close to the signing period and, and you know, Aaron Graves, last year it was Connor Colby. Guys that commit early with little fanfare, and you kind of overlook them because they're so com- concentrating on who's next, who are they missing on, and all that stuff. And then you go back, you, you know, and then circle back to, to those guys, and you're like, holy cow, this guy was the one of the most dominant defensive linemen I've ever seen at the high school level. Um, granted, you know, okay, class 2A, you give them kind of some slack there, or, or you, you weigh that in your evaluation, but an absolute monster. I, I don't think I, I've seen a lot of really good players, obviously, over the <laughs> 30 plus years I've either played or covered uh, football here in this state. And uh, this guy's this guy's unreal. This guy is the type of guy that can walk in day one and be a part of the rotation. No question in my mind. Yeah. And he you kind of get that dynamic, Scott, when a kid is in state and commits early that he's somewhat forgotten about. And I think that was the situation with Colby. Um, He had camped, which would have been trying to think whenever that was 2019. 
he camped, yeah. yeah, it was 2019 because he camped at those, you know, Ohio State, Michigan, what have you, got offers from them. And then not long after that, committed to Iowa and was just kind of, you know, that four-star that was just in the class from in-state. And I think sometimes those guys get taken for granted, whether it's, you know, Linderbaum or Tristan Wirfs. A lot of those guys, I think, it's not like you're, they're completely ignored but it doesn't have the same impact of what we saw yesterday with Xavier Wonka, which we'll get into more, but there's, there's some, some, sometimes timing has something to do with it. And uh, fans, um, you know, view it and consume it how, you know, however they want. And there's kind of a pattern to it, but yeah, Aaron Graves is as good as Xavier Wonka is in this class. I I don't think, and and people will probably say, what are you talking I don't think Aaron Graves takes a back seat to anybody in this class. That's just my opinion. You're a hundred percent right. He was the Gatorade player of the year. And, and I, I think, you know, I think really highly of Xavier and Wonka too. As I do think, I. You know, he's going to, he's enrolling in January. I think uh, with Iowa having at, at least two players, seniors exiting, I guess we'll find out with Riley Moss later on, but I think he's got a real chance to start as a true freshman, um, you know, it's safety or cash, depending on what Dane Belton decides to do. And, and he could play one or the other spots. So I think he's going to be an outstanding player, but Aaron Graves, um, again, you know, <laughs> you know, he committed right after his freshman year. He's a small town, Iowa kid. Uh, I don't think he really went on the big circuit, although he'll be down at uh, San Antonio. Uh, so, you know, that, that's where all the, you know, that's where all the buzz comes, you know, it's like, okay, when you prolong your recruitment, when you get the offers from Alabama, from, from Ohio state and, and those schools, then that's, that's generally what boosts you up in, in the public's eye. And instead in his case, eh, been to Iowa, want to go there. Um, James Morris was kind of that way. I thought, you know, a long time ago, uh, it just, Hey, this is where I want to go. This is where I want to be. And, and Lenderbaum, as you mentioned. So I, I watching his film. It's just, uh, it, it's domination. I've never seen before. I mean, when he's a defensive tackle for Southeast Valley, they generally have three guys trying to block him. And most of the time it doesn't work. It, it literally, I'm not even exaggerating. It's, and then when he's on offense, he played offensive line and he, he would pull. And I just feel so bad for the kid that he met because that kid would fly back like like Larry Allen laying out a defensive back in uh, the NFL way back when. It makes the evaluation to translate it to, you know, the college level playing at a smaller level, 2A, 3A. Well, now there's five classes, so yeah. it makes it even a little bit more uh, convoluted. But I remember in person and on film watching Tristan Wirfs. And I'm like, you know, he's killing this five foot 10, 180 pound defensive end from wherever Wapolo or something like that. And I'm like, you know, how does that translate? But then you look at the kid and his size and his technique and things like that. You, you can translate it. And I kind of, I see the similarities between the Tristan Wirfs evaluation projecting him at a higher level to what I see with Aaron Graves. I think you can do it. Um, it's not as difficult if you kind of look a little closer at what you're seeing. Exactly. Uh, and that's, you know, I, 
we, we, we've covered or, or, you know, watched the Valley for a lot of years. I played in the Mac and watched it for a lot of years and saw some great players, NFL players. But at this level, especially in 2A, I, this is just, uh, he is a wrecking ball. He's, he's Brandon Sheriff with probably greater athletic ability. That's probably the best way I could describe it. It's just unbelievable what I, what I saw. And so, um, he, he's a guy that, Next week, when he signs, you know, it, it's time to really take a closer look and say, oh, boy, this guy is something special, just like Xavier and Wonkpa was. You know, he's not he's not going to get profiled on CBS, Snap, you know, HQ or whatever, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he's he's definitely going to be uh, an impact player from day one in that in that class. Uh, let's just kind of continue down this road of recruiting since we started here. Um, Xavier Wangpa commits yesterday, Southeast Polk safety. For those who don't know that don't really follow recruiting. I, I'm not sure even if you don't follow recruiting, you haven't heard about this or gotten a, a little bit of an insight into what this commitment is. It's a five-star in-state Southeast Polk safety, uh, led the Rams to a 5A state championship last month. Looking at the the rankings, Scott, um, I I saw the two four seven rankings. I think Iowa went from fifty two to thirty nine, and they yeah. these things change by the hour too because their commitments all over. Um, one thing, it, it, and maybe it's hard to explain verbally, but um, these classes are weighted by the amount of the the number of commitments you have in a given class. Yeah, so. I looked at rivals this morning because I tend to use their rankings when in my writing. Um, but I was ranked 41st this after, after Xavier's commitment, Iowa is 41st. However, if you go by average stars uh, and, and it, the stars basically go from two to five, I don't remember ever seeing a one star or a zero star. Well, there are zero stars, I guess. Um, there, I never saw of one star now that I think about it. I've seen like no ranking, but usually then it goes to two. But anyway, I digress. Iowa's uh-huh. oh, uh, average is 3.33, which puts it in a 22nd place tie in this cycle with UCLA um, and uh, Rutgers and Georgia Tech. They would all be one, just a shade behind Indiana and Miami of Florida. And just to give you a perspective on that, Michigan has 20 commitments in this class. It has, it also has one five star, six four stars, and 13 three stars. Iowa has 12 commitments in this class, so eight less than Michigan, one five star, so the same, three four stars, and seven three stars. Uh, I'm getting myself tied up here, but that's just kind of a little bit more perspective of Iowa's recruiting class right now, because people tend to just look at those general overall rankings. Iowa's done pretty well this class. It's going to be a smaller class. So the chance, the chances of it getting up high in those overall rankings probably aren't good. Um, but I, I would, uh, I would recommend people look at the average star ranking because I think that's more indicative of what the class looks like because everybody has a different number of kids in a, in a given class. Yeah, right. And, I mean, even going in now, we've seen some attrition and we're going to see some more attrition. So those numbers will probably climb up, um, you know, probably, what, a couple more 
two, three more possibly by next Wednesday. And then you'll see maybe one or two more in the, in the interim, maybe a, a grad transfer or a, a, a transfer portal guy. And then, then after the bowl game, you'll probably see a little more attrition and then possibly, uh, you know, grab a guy or two possibly for the late signing period. So, you know, th- it's all going to be kind of fluctuated as, as you go forward. But I, I think overall, you know, they've done what they needed to do. I mean, they had a very small senior class with only 13 guys um, who are on scholarship. And you have, uh, you know, two maybe of not. Yeah, I, I'm sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, like, two, you know, potentially Moss and Charlie Jones yeah. could, could make their way back. I don't know if they will or not. You know, that's their choice. And, um, you know, the, I, I wonder if their honors, you know, from the Big Ten kind of makes them go, well, maybe I should just go ahead and go. But, but they'll probably know. wait on the evals, too, from NFL, which is smart. I mean, this is a process. You don't have to just jump. You, you can, oh, yeah. What's the cutoff? Like mid-January or early to mid-January? Yeah, it's like the 15th usually. Okay. Now, I don't know the specific date this year, but it's, it's right around the 15th. And and uh, it, it makes it tough for the teams that are playing for the championship Yeah, um, for them. But but they already know, you know, I mean, if you're Jamison Williams or <laughs> you know, right. you know, somebody like that, uh, I think you're going to go ahead and go. But the, the – uh, but – you know, I think overall this for as small of classes they had for all the, you know, we, we were probably the voice of reason <laughs> when we were talking back in June and early July, like guys just settle down. This isn't that big of a deal. Things happen. Um, and now you look and you see who they got. I mean, the momentum is fine. They've got prospects that climbed quite a bit. They're able to, you know, when you look at Caleb Johnson, you know, he, he didn't visit at first and then he, de, you know, decommitted and, and then went to, uh, you know, went to Cal first and then Iowa. Uh, Patterson is a big get for them, a four-star running back. Carson May, who looked like a complete fallback and wasn't even ranked by 24-7, now is a four-star by rivals. So, um, you know, he really climbed this year. I, I think they're okay. And I think the other focus is 2023. Um, they're doing really well, at least with uh, meeting with players and, and getting good evaluations. Yeah, and uh, it's uh, it's 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 so much more complicated now than it used to be because you're, I mean, you're looking junior college, you're looking transfer portal, you're looking high school. Um, you know, it's you really it's it it's very involved now, um, and there are players everywhere. And I think I was a great example of that, where you're able to, you know, from a Zach Van Valkenburg coming from a Division two to Charlie Jones walking on and giving up a scholarship at Buffalo. I mean, there are so many opportunities and avenues to get good players. It's just a matter of being able to do that and find the right guys. And uh, I think Iowa does a pretty good job of that. Yeah, sure. And, um, you know, like, like looking ahead, you know, now that they've got what 12, 12 commits for this class that they're, they're, they're targeting certain players are waiting on some, um, you know, that this weekend's an, uh, a visit weekend and, you know, Orlando trader is going to be there. You, they had uh, TJ Hall who, um, you know, is close, I guess, with the Wampa, And I think he's got a chance to, to make a commit, uh, you know, the, what Cohen and Traeger, uh is, is uh, 
got a lot of these supposedly still coming. And I think now that and Wagba made that decision, I think in some ways it kind of validates Iowa, even against, you know, blue blood caliber programs. And, and uh, you know, they had a new offer at defensive line. I, the one guy that I think they're really excited about is, is Jared Verse. Uh, the the Albany transfer and that, that that's that, that's again we've seen it with you and I kids <laughs> look at their last two years Spencer Brown and uh, Jared Penning I think his name is the the offensive uh, the offensive tackles in-state kids that blossom at Northern Iowa and you don't think Iowa or Iowa State could have used them shit Iowa could have used either one of them this year or Jared Brinkman. Them with, you know yeah Jared Brinkman from Regina I mean he's just right across town could they have used him at defensive tackle? So uh, I, I see the the portal being, you know, mutually beneficial for for FCS lower level FBS teams, and then also upper level FBS teams like Iowa, because you know Jared Verse will be able to do, uh, you know, if he came to Iowa, he would instantly probably be a starter at at right defensive end uh, to replace Sam Zach Van Valkenburg. Um, you know, really great burst off the edge, long arms, can do a lot of different things. Great player at, at his level. And and then, uh, you know, so I, I think Iowa is a little more into the transfer portal than people think that they are looking. They are trying to find fits. And, uh, you know, they're, they're just not like Michigan State. They're going to go out, and, you know. <laughs> or, or the old Iowa, bas- Iowa State basketball uh, way of just cleaning up in that area. Yeah, and I think Brian Allen's another guy to keep an eye on. Um, once committed to Illinois, um, held Iowa in, in high regard before that commitment. So he's another guy to keep an eye on. They've got a uh, they've got a defensive lineman from down south coming in. I think I'm not sure he when that Crawford. is. He yeah, I Crawford. think he's coming in this weekend. I think I yeah. saw Blair tweet that. I've been in contact with the kid, but haven't been able to connect for an interview yet. So yeah, um, it'll come together. The class will come together. And uh, as people know, it really, it, it gets to be um, tired. I think people don't want to hear it, but stars matter to a degree, but I was done really good with classes that haven't been ranked very highly and not as well with, some classes that were ranked high. So it's really, you don't really know until, um, until they get here and and they start playing and and then you figure out really what you have. So um, I, the one concern I have with the news yesterday Mm -hmm. and uh, there's really no way to avoid it. And I do think that Xavier has the makeup and the you know he he's mentally tough enough to be able to deal with this, but he's going to have an unreal amount of pressure when he gets here, um, just because people are going to expect him to be that five star best player on the field from the moment he steps on campus. I think it's unfair. I don't think it's a it's I, I think it's unavoidable. Um, so, but he's got to block that out and just, you know, focus on what's important. More cliches from me, I know, but in this case, I think it's really important that he do that and that he just kind of focus on uh, what he needs to do when he gets here. Because, 
as Scott said, there's a chance he can play, but he's also got to get through, you know, Kayvon Merriweather's a veteran. Sebastian Castro has done really well. Reggie Bracey is a guy. Mm -hmm. We'll see what happens, but there's not, he's not walking into just a starting spot. He's going to have to earn it. Absolutely. And I, I think he's, He's enough of a talent. Cooper DeJean, I forgot about him. <laughs> so there's... Right, yeah. Right. I, I think there's enough of a – he's got enough talent that he's going to make his way to the field. But how much, as you said, uh, Kayvon Merriweather is, is going to be one of the best defensive backs in the Big Ten next year. If Dane Belton stays, he is one of the best defensive backs in the Big Ten. I mean, he's, he's a co-leader in interceptions. Those two aren't, aren't leaving the field. I don't care how good you are or as a prospect. It does leave one safety position open. But as you said, Sebastian Castro, I mean, he's not going to say, well, he's a five-star. I understand. I mean, he's going to be out there competing. And, uh, you know, it might take a year for him to, to see the field and start because maybe Castro takes that position. Maybe Quinn Schulte takes that position. And, uh, and then it's okay. But once Merriweather leaves, then you take that you know, gig or Belton leaves, maybe you're the cash. So I think he's going to play, you know, play as a true freshman. I think it'd be stupid to suggest otherwise, but I think it's um, whether he starts and is a star. That's, that's another question. I mean, he might be an AJ Epineza type that kind of rotates early. And, and as we saw with Epineza, who I think had probably the same amount of buzz locally as, as in Wonkpa that he, he had, some really superstar plays. And then he really got worked by some really good players a lot of the time too. And um, I remember the Penn state game in particular in 2017 his true freshman year. By the end of that game, he, he could barely move. <laughs> I mean, you know, they, they had, and that's, if he would have been two years older, you know, they may have won that game because he might've gotten a sack or two, but he couldn't do much um, in that. And I think that's what you'll see from him, you know, and, if I I would say a realistic goal because he is enrolling early and he's going to compete is make sure he's on the depth chart and put him on some special teams and see if maybe he's a sub package guy maybe maybe he becomes more the the what Merriweather's position is this year to some extent or or just uh, get on the field when you can so but yeah as you know people are always so realistic when they examine these five stars and, and give them a, you know, the benefit of the doubt on their playing ability. Yeah. And I think <laughs> if, <laughs> kidding, if you look at him physically, uh-huh. he, I mean, he's going to need some time in the weight room. And I think that's what this, that's why the early enrollment is going to be good for him. He's going to be able to hop on that. The winter uh, strength and conditioning program will be great for him. Um, the film is what it is. I mean, he's, he's a playmaker. He hits hard. Um, he's, he's a, you know, he's a complete safety. He really is. I mean, he can run with, with receivers, um, comes up, supports the run. Um, he can do it all. I, I encourage people to watch his film and, uh, they will be, you will be impressed if you watch his film and, uh, We'll see how it translates or, or if it impacts the rest of this class and beyond. Um, obviously, the big fella at Southeast Polk was there yesterday. Um, I don't know if you got a chance to talk to him, Scott, but uh, 
He uh, and I'm talking about Caden Proctor for the uninitiated yeah, right. uh, five-star offensive lineman in the next class. He and Xavier are really tight. Mm-hmm. I would caution people to think that it's a layup, though. Let the kid go through his process. Exactly, same deal. Um, you know, with with Xavier, uh, he you know kind of laid it out. I talked to his mom pretty deeply about this, and just you know. He, you, you, when you when you're 17 years old and you've got all the every opportunity in the world before you, you've got to see it through. And right. and that is, hey, every school in America wants you. Go have fun. Go visit. Go. You know, you, you shouldn't worry about what a a 38 year old you know who's where has wears Tiger Hawk shirts every weekend. What he cares about. You got to worry about yourself. And so, I think. Uh, you know, so he, he goes to all these visits. He he looks it through, but but what really kind of stuck with him was it's a business decision, and he he's not shy about admitting it. He looked at what Iowa secondary was able to do when he went to the Indiana game, when he took the official visit to Penn State. Um, twenty four interceptions this year, the most intercept what eighty eight over the last five years. He's a safety. He wants to do that. He wants to, and and there's always he didn't really go into this as much, but it's, it's kind of, uh, you know, something we can all infer is if Iowa can do all these things with two and a half, three-star guys, I mean, Riley Moss was a gray shirt and, and Monty Hooker didn't even have a, a power five offer and they can win big 10 football uh, defensive back of the year awards. What can they do with a five-star in that position? And, and so he's going to get that opportunity. He understands. And if he can, intercept 10 passes in a year. I know that sounds crazy, but um, do something like that. Then, you know, it's a business decision for the next level too. And uh, I was, you know, had quite a few pros. I think they have, I don't know, close to 10, I think in the NFL, I'd have to count, but um, right now. So, you know, Geno Stone's a good player. He was a two-star and he was, he probably would have been a first team all big 10 guy as a senior if he would have came back. Uh, Gino and uh, Amani and, and all of that, they, they have really good skills. That's why they're still in the NFL. But Micah Hyde. Guys, yeah, Micah Hyde. Well, yeah. <laughs> Two star. Two star. 168 <laughs> pounds when he came to Iowa. Um, he looks a little bigger than that right, right now and uh, is playing as well as any safety in the NFL. And he could, and this guy's skill set is bigger and better. Now, is his work ethic and production going to be better? Uh, he's got a long way to go because um, Micah Hyde is one of the most respected players, at least for me, that I've seen that, that, you know, at Iowa when he was at Iowa and in the NFL because he's been doing it now for for 10 seasons. Yeah, ultimately, as Scott said, it's if if you're a two-star or you're a five-star, can you maximize your talent? Mm-hmm. That's that's basically it. You know, Tristan Wirfs and A.J. Epinesa, they maximize their talents. It didn't matter. Tyler Lindebaum, I forget about him, but he was a four-star. So, yeah defensive tackle but four-star nonetheless so those guys took what was natural to them and then allowed themselves to be developed once they got it. and we've seen and I don't want to go down the road of names of four star guys that have come here and not worked out but there are you know there is a list of those guys sure. and then that's the opposite of the two-star guys who come in and develop themselves into NFL players or really good Big Ten players. And then there are two stars that come in that don't develop. Or, you know, we hear about the walk-on stories that Mm -hmm. end up 
being prosperous, there are some that aren't. And that's just the way it goes. It's just, it's, it's each individual kid and what he can do here. And uh, I think Xavier had a, I know, and I want to mention this because I've seen this a lot. And I think, you know, Jay Neiman and the coaches deserve a ton of credit here, but also credit the student athletes, the ones that are in his class and the ones that are already here that he bonded with. I think that was a big part of this puzzle that he really connected with the guys that he was going to be teammates with. Um, and then Phil Parker, position coach is important. Those are some of the things that are super important when a kid makes a decision like this. You know, what's hilarious is uh, the, uh, I talked to his mom. I'm like, okay, now how did this all come together? How did he inform him? <laughs> you know, and, and Xavier was kind of like most uh, guys, I would say, but also players, you know, it's like, oh yeah, you know, they were so excited and they gave me a hug and everything. She was like, <laughs> you know, Jay t- turned to him and asked him, uh, asked Xavier, um, so where are you going to go? And Zay, uh, he, what he meant was for out to dinner for his birthday. <laughs> and uh, and uh, Xavier thought he meant college. He goes, I'm going to stay home and be a Hawkeye. And she's like, eh, you should have seen the looks on all the coaches' faces. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, you couldn't believe it. You know, and then, of course, everybody went crazy and stuff. So, uh, but just the way it kind of, for as meticulous as this recruiting journey was to have it all come out that way. I thought it was, was really poignant and, and kind of funny, but, you know, uh, you know, kind of getting into this class though. I mean, I, I think barring anything health related, I think we both would expect Graves and Nwakba to be really good players at Iowa. I mean, starters, who knows beyond that, but. And that doesn't like, mean right away. For yeah, those exactly. listening. <laughs> yeah. Not, not in training camp. Why it may, it may be right away, but it may not be right away. My, my guess is neither one red shirts. They see action on the field at some point, and then uh, we'll go from there. But, but really the, the difference in the hallmark of these classes are the other players, the three stars, the, even the two star guys and what they do. And, and one class in particular, I was just kind of looking through was the 2017 class. Like you mentioned, I mean, yeah, off the charts when you look at Epineza and Wirfs. I mean, those, those, you know, five star and a guy who should have been a five star, frankly, at Wirfs. Um, but, you know, what, what made that class tick were guys like Amir Smith Marset and Geno Stone, you know, late guys when they really needed to clean up late. Um, then you had, um, you know, guys like, you know, uh, Jimon Colbert, who, who left the team, but he was really good. Mark Kallenberger, kind of the same deal. Uh, Brandon Smith and Matt Hankins. Um, and Hankins, for people that don't remember, was a four-star who Michigan really tried to, tried to snag him away from Iowa. Yeah. And then, and then when you get kind of down, then you see the guys that made their mark. And, and well, Davion Nixon was an original signing, but he couldn't enroll for a year, or at least a semester. But then, then you start going d- deeper and you see a guy like Henry Marquez who stuck it out for five years and he was real pivotal in the last two games. He was not a position player, but on special teams, you don't win probably the Nebraska game without him. And he was real pivotal in tipping the balance of the Illinois game. So you have that, um, you know, and, and other players too. So it, it's, it's really about not just the superstars, but the guys who, um, 
fill gaps, who start. Maybe they're not NFL guys. Maybe they're free agent NFL guys. And then also the the guys like a Kyler Schott or Jake Kern, or Jack Kerner, who are walk-ons. But if there's one thing I do like about the Iowa program is if you're a walk-on, once you close that door and you put on that jersey, you're at, everybody's equal. It's all about your, how you play. And and you look at Kyler Schott and, and Jack Kerner, they've been starters for basically three years. Um, and they've been really the part of the heart and soul of this program. So um, I would caution everybody not to overlook anybody who walks on because I think they've got an opportunity that three years, four years down the road, you can, you'll say, oh, this guy's a starter and maybe a pretty good player. For sure. And uh, I don't know how many more they'll get total in this class. Um, you know, again, it's pretty much a fluid situation, as Scott mentioned. It's a matter of, you know, which underclassmen decide to go to the NFL. I think we know one who's, who's, who's gone. But other guys that may enter the NFL draft, guys that decide to move on from the program after bowl prep. Um, so the puzzle kind of continuously moves to how, you know, what, what, you, what your needs are and the numbers you have to fill. So um, what we think may be a small class now may grow bigger based on, you know, attrition at whatever level that is. So um, it's just kind of modern day football, Scott. I mean, this is the way it's going to be now. Guys going in the transfer portal, getting guys out of the transfer portal. Um, Just as I said a few minutes ago, it's just there are much more, there there are more avenues now to, to get players and it's up to the coaches to kind of figure it out and put it together. Right. And you, you've got to, you've got to be, keep a keen eye, keep a keen eye on everything. And that's, it, it's going to be interesting to see how Iowa handles this because they've traditionally been very judicious and how they recruit anybody. And then, and then same thing with, uh, with transfers, they've had they've had good transfers. They've had important transfers, uh, you know, all over the years. Whether it's been a punter um, or guys like Mark Wiseman was a walk-on transfer, and and Zach and Valkenberg, as we know, and and just some others. But they're they're not. It's not like they're ignoring it. They're they're trying to to get certain players, and and then they've missed. They've been hard on some guys, and just they've missed on, and and so, but. I think going into this, that now that they have their first defensive back uh, selection uh, for this class, they've only got two in, the, in this class and the 2021 class. They need to get some DBs because I don't know. I'm not making any predictions, but my guess is that you will see maybe at least one departure after the bowl game. Um, and they then, need to hit wide receiver too. Yeah. yeah they've had some lost, losses there. Yeah. They, they now have three, you know, since this season. And um, and so – It could be more. And, and Right. And it probably will be. Probably one more at least, at least uh, among the scholarship guys. So there's uh, – they, they've got some questions there. So that's I, that illustrates the point, Scott. I mean, maybe they come into this recruiting cycle saying, hey, we're fine at wide receiver. Mm-hmm. And then that changes, and now you have to adjust. Exactly. Because – Let's look at the let's look at wide receiver the the three guys that have announced um, Kayvon Matthews um, never really got an opportunity had he some was, injuries uh, as well yeah right and he's from Florida so it, 
you know, first year was a COVID year. It, it, it's tough. It's tough to be that far away from home. If you're not playing, that's what you're here for. Um, yeah, maybe you might want to just shut it down. Then Desmond Hudson was kind of on the cusp, but just never cracked through and then got passed up uh, by, you know, by Keegan Johnson specifically. But um, and then finally, the one that's the high profile one, you know, Tyrone Tracy. And um, you'll never hear me say anything negative about him. Uh, I think he's a really fantastic young man. Um, whatever happened as far as on the field goes, you know, the facts are that there wasn't a lot of production. Was it his fault or was it the coach's fault? I think there's probably some blame to go around on that one for both sides. But, you know, he's looking for another opportunity, probably an offense that suits his skill set better. Iowa didn't maximize his skill set, whether that's his fault or their fault. You know, again, it's, it's up to your interpretation. But either way, they got to replace him because he's part of the rotation. And um, and he's and and this is why I, I like the transfer portal because instead of getting lost in the depth chart and just kind of languishing there, all three of these players now have an opportunity to play somewhere, and, you know, and get get into an offense that suits their skill set. And that's the same way at any position group. So, um, and, and then now Iowa has to go and find a receiver, two receivers who do it and. Then, you know, they like their freshmen a lot, but they're still freshmen. And if one gets hurt, where's your depth? So um, what does this mean if Charlie Jones leaves? Exactly. You know, then they're then they're really tight and light. So they only have one receiver right now in the class. And and there's no guarantee he could walk right in and be a guy. So that's that's why you've got to be open in the portal. Yeah, and receiver seems like a position that uh, can be addressed. There's probably a quite a few of them in the portal right now. And uh, yeah, I echo what Scott said about Tyrone Tracy. Just a, just a, a you know, a, a great ambassador for Iowa football. Um, you know, really was uh, instrumental last summer in kind of helping the program progress. And uh, you don't really see Kirk Ferentz release statements when guys leave the program very often. And he did yesterday when Tyrone announced he was going into the portal. So that speaks volumes right there, Uh, was beloved by his teammates. But I think this one pretty much comes down to opportunity. And I think the bigger question, and we can get into this when we start talking about the Big Ten championship game is, how many wide receivers can you make happy in this offense based on what you're doing? And it shouldn't have been a case where even if he was losing playing time to the freshman, where he couldn't have been utilized in some way that would have kept him, that would have had him see that he was an important part of this team on the field. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where he was, um, disappointed in that he couldn't help this offense more. Um, yeah, he wants to get the ball in his hands. He's a receiver. You know, yeah. guy, skill guys want the ball. But he also didn't see himself as somebody that was helping this offense because he wasn't utilized. So there's more to it in, in it than that. And we'll, we'll get into that more when we talk about that. But um, just kind of to, to wrap up uh, the recruiting talk, a lot of offers going out right now. Um, I've been retweeting them. You know, they're, they're going heavy into the 23, 24, 25 classes. 
big clock here. Um, I heard, I think it was Bob Bowlesby said yesterday, there's, they're considering doing away with the early signing period. So there's that to consider now. Um, I don't, that's obviously not going to happen this year, but maybe could happen as early as next year. Um, so the, it just seems like recruiting is constantly changing. And um, I, I just hope that it, whatever everybody, whatever they do, it's best for the student athletes and give them, gives them the best opportunity to find the right place for them coming out of high school. It's not always going to happen. It'd be crazy to think that um, there there's going to be a transfer portal, but I think trying to contract the number of guys going into that transfer portal to me would be the ideal way to go here. It's, I mean, it's good. It's going to be really interesting to see, all these issues, because I, I understand, I think they're legitimate concerns and I don't think it's really about the players as much as it is the coaches, um, the, the expedited firings and hirings and movings um, from, you know, Notre Dame to LSU to Oklahoma to USC to Florida. Position coaches too. Yeah. yeah. Coordinators. Um, exactly. And it's really frustrating and, and if you're an athlete and you've committed to these programs the next thing you know um before your signing period it voila you know i mean there's no stability and you know and you're come on you know we, we could all say and try to be highbrow and say oh yeah they chose an institution that's why they're there yes but let's face it the reason why is because of who's in their living room who's on their phone who's texting them, and who they're talking to and and so they're going to Florida uh, because they want to go to Florida because of the position coach. And then voila, he's gone. Um, they hire somebody else. And then it's like, well, I don't know this guy. I don't want to play for this guy. I don't know what he's going to bring or do or whatever. And and so that's that's the thing uh, that people don't understand. And, and that's what's going to really be interesting, I guess. And, you know, I, Kirk has been an advocate of, this, you know, signing before their senior years, like let's say August 1st and go for there because the ones that are committed, uh, you know, let them go ahead, you know, an Aaron Graves type, let's say. But I, I don't know that I want that kind of pressure on those kids that early. And uh, and I, I think you got to be fair to them. But I also understand this need for hey, the early signing periods, great and all, but Man, you know, but but then again, everybody starts their semester classes on a different scale, and it's really hard for them. Maybe you have a signing period in, in December for those who are going to enroll in January, and then you have maybe go back to the traditional model of first Wednesday in February for everybody else. I don't know. Um, again, you know, the transfer portal guys are going to want to go in in January, you know, to their new schools, they want to get acclimated and to the programs and get, you know, go through spring football. So I, I don't know. I don't think that it'll change. I think they'll, they'll talk about it changing. They're going to want to make some, they'd like to make these changes, but the cat's out of the bag on this one. You can't get it back. And in a sense, there was always an early signing period because kids have been enrolling in January I mean, Drew Tate came in in January, Yeah, you know, when he came here. So I think that's still on the table for people. Maybe, maybe something after the national championship game, you know, where it looks at that point. Now we know where, at least for the most part, where the head coaches are going to be, you know, and give guys a, a chance, you know, 
in Notre Dame's case or Oklahoma's case, you know, those kids have a little bit more time to decide where they may want to go if they find out at the beginning of December. Rather than, you know, now they're, I saw Nick Evers, who Iowa offered early in the process, the kid that was committed to Florida uh, from Texas, I think Flower Mound, Texas. Yeah. Um, and there's been, you know, I, I watched a little bit of that drama with his parents and, you know, the fan base there. And that's just not healthy for anybody. And, you know, he doesn't just, he just doesn't get in much, a lot of time to look around. I think his dad or whoever it was said he's speed dating now with coaches so he can sign in the early period so he can enroll in January. Um, give him a little bit more time. Even a couple weeks is important. They can take some, you know, a couple more official visits during that time. And I know they closed down the recruiting during bowl, during the bowl time. Maybe you do away with that, you know, you, and if you're in the bowl, you got to work your way around. I don't know. I just, again, I think you need to do the, everything you can to let the student athlete make the most educated decision for him. <laughs> it, it, it is crazy when you think about it. I, I remember growing up, very, very few people graduated early. Yeah. I mean, just one or two a class. I mean, we, we we had everything so spread out. You couldn't even really do it. You had to, you couldn't take a study hall if you wanted to graduate early. <laughs> the sec, you know, now everybody gets to graduate early, it seems. But, uh, you know, there's, there's, just, there's so much, the sport is, is kind of wacky. Let's face it. it it's when you have uh, the season and you have, you know, the bulls are, are non-playoff affiliated, except for, you know, three of them, basically, until they really re-implement the playoff system and change it, which they will, it's just a matter of time. Um, the Bulls are going to continue to be relegated to this second tier, consolation prize, almost exhibition status, which is what they are. Um, and then after that, th then that's why you don't see people valuing it very much and why, hey, if my choice is to, to go to Florida for this bowl game or Texas for this bowl game or get a head start on what might happen for my future. There, it's, it's not even a, a decision and it makes sense. So, uh, but then the coaches leaving at the end of the season before the bowl game shows that the bowl games really don't matter. And, and so they, they've got to figure something out as the sport and, and it, it, everything in college football changes at a glacial pace anyway. So I don't know if we're going to be able to, to get any change at all in, in any of these areas, but I do agree. You've got to do what's best in the interest of the student athlete. And uh, you know, there's going to be some exploitation both ways. Uh, Quinn Ewers, um, you know, made sure to, to enroll early, you know, reclassified enrolled in August at Ohio State, took what a million plus dollars in NIL money, and now he's hit the portal. <laughs> you know, which, uh, boy, that's that's interesting, I guess. But at the same time, uh, what's uh, you know, not like you know when you got Brian Kelly, you know, on on the plane changing his accent, you know, for ten million dollars a year. I mean, it's, look it's what happened. What's going on at Pittsburgh? Whipple yeah. leaves. Goes to Nebraska, and now it looks like Pickett's going to sit out the the bowl game. At least there's a chance that he does, and that's a New Year's Six bowl. Right. And you know, so the coach says, "Hey, this bowl game's not important to me. I'm going to Nebraska." You're going to blame yeah. the player for sitting out? Exactly. 
Are you going to pull? Yeah. And everybody gets mad at the player, but not the coach. Well, the coach is instrumental. And, and if you're the player, you have way more to lose than the coach does. If the coach waits until January 2nd or whatever, who cares? Um, he's not going to really be any in- instrumental in this recruiting cycle. What are they going to do at the last minute with, with him? You know, he just put on a new jacket, and go and talk to a kid and that's it. I mean, he's not going to wow anybody, but Kenny Pickett, he gets hurt in that bowl game, you know, the against Michigan state, he could cost himself a first round position, you know? So I think overall it's, it's, again, this, this sport is so, so jacked up at the time, but uh, I do think that once the, the playoffs are implemented, you know, changed, goes to 12 teams, they just need to figure out the right method, um, that it will stabilize a little bit. I think it in that way, because then you'll have a clear line of delineation between what's important and what's just kind of fun. And, and you know, the Citrus Bowl, like I was going to, you know, it, it's one of the better consolation prizes, but it is a consolation prize. I mean, it is not, you know, and the New Year's Six right now is a consolation prize, but it won't be when it's a playoff. So I, I think they're when the sooner the better on this, because I've always been a bowl guy, but I think at this point, Hey, it, it, it's, we're full force on this track. So you might as well just embrace it, make it the best you can. And because it's changing the sport and there's some, there's a lot of positives, I think in the regular season and the postseason, if they, once they continue to do this. No doubt change is coming. Um, change is always coming in college football um, yeah. and adjustments are being made and we'll see where it goes from here. Scott and I'll talk a lot more about recruiting here as we get through, go through the rest of the month as Iowa will have more commitments, um, attrition, all that stuff. So plenty, there'll be plenty to talk about on that the rest of the month. We're going to dive into some football now. Scott and I were both down in Indianapolis for uh Michigan's 42-3 to win against Iowa. Not a whole lot of positives out of that game. Um, I think, if anything, Scott, we came out of that game with more questions than answers. Um, I think we thought Iowa was in a pretty good place going into that game, and it just did not did not make a, a strong accounting of itself on a big stage. And, and that's happened before. Um, you know, we've seen this before when Iowa's been on the big stage and uh, embarrassing. I mean, I, I don't know if there's, an, you know, that's kind of the word that describes that. That was just because that morning, you know, a lot of us, I was watching game day. And nobody was giving Iowa a chance. And, you know, Iowa, it looked like it was shaping up well for Iowa, the underdog, the no, no chance. And then they go out and they prove people wrong, kind of like what they did against Michigan State in 2015. But that was just uh, – that was a mismatch on Saturday night, at least the way it played out. I don't know. They play again. I, Iowa certainly could stay close. But I was psyched in that first Iowa drive. I'm like, yeah, they're, they're getting away from tendency. They're, they're throwing some wrinkles at them. They're getting them on their heels. And, and then psh, who knows if maybe Gavin Williams connects with Potabom. I don't know, though. It, it, Michigan just looked like it was – it wasn't going to be not denied on that night. I'm just yeah. throwing a bunch of thoughts out there that are just racing <laughs> through my head right now. I, I think you're right on all accounts. And, and uh, first and foremost, uh, there's a reason why Michigan was a 12-point favorite. Yeah, there was. It was it, it was the better team. 
And we all knew that what we were trying to do was describe scenarios in which Iowa would could win because Iowa has done that in the past when they've been heavy double digit underdogs. They found ways to keep the game close. And they, you know, this is a tough team, Iowa. They've got good special teams and really good defense. And, uh, you know, uh, as we know, less than a pedestrian offense. And, and so, but we were trying to, here's how Iowa could do this, this, this. Credit Michigan because Michigan wasn't going to get in that game. Michigan wasn't going to play Rocky Balboa football. Michigan was like, we're going to attack you. We're going to be aggressive and we're going to be aggressive the entire game. And, uh, you know, the first touchdown was sloppy tackling by Iowa. I mean, their run fits weren't good. And then, uh, we you know, saw that we saw that at times down the stretch too, Scott, yeah. and they got away with it. Yeah, you're right. And, uh, you know, Jamari Harris missed a tackle. Uh, Jack Campbell was, you know, I don't know if he was in the right gap, but somebody else wasn't, but it was, it looked like it might've been Campbell's gap. That's where Corum went. And then the, the tackle could have been there 10 yards down the field and it wasn't boom, you know, touchdown. The, the backbreaker was that, you know, the combination of Iowa not getting its halfback pass connect, not connecting on it, whether that's the wrong person throwing it, the wrong person trying to catch it. And then, um, Michigan attacking Harris again with the with the halfback pass and, and scoring on it. That showed an aggressiveness out of Michigan. Like we're not playing around tonight. We're going right at you. We're not going to get in this, you know, run the ball up the middle, even that though that that's our game and punt and play field position, because that plays right into Iowa's hands. They want a low scoring game. They want a game where it's uh body blows matter. And uh and then you know, Iowa got into the red zone, got into the inside the 12 three times. It didn't come away and only came away with a field goal. It needed to maximize its possessions. And, and that means score points. And if you're inside the 10, score touchdowns. Couldn't do it. Um, and then by, I, I think really the, the backbreaker from it being uh, competitive on the level of, well, it didn't look so bad to, oh boy, here we go, was the block punt. And uh, that really turned it into a route. And, you know, I think it, it was embarrassing because it was a prime time. The score was embarrassing. Um, I think more people are talking about Michigan than Iowa, which is probably fair. And, and you, you kind of go, OK, that works. But but there are some big, uh, big questions for Iowa. And I really think on the offensive side of the ball, you just cannot do this any longer. You cannot play this style of football. You have to make sure you have to make changes. And, and I don't care what it is. I mean, you could have play the oop-de-oop like on varsity blues in on every down, or, or you can have uh, Adrian Martinez as your quarterback or whoever. I don't care. You're going to have to make something different. You're going to have to do something different. The passing game looks robotic to the point of, you know, it's almost like the, the, it's a, analogy with the tin man and the wizard of oz without any with without any oil i mean it's just there's nothing there and they've got good receivers and you know now the offensive line is um you know it, it's it's young and it's inexperienced it's going to get better i don't have any doubts of that but it certainly didn't help this year and then at quarterback you've got it you've got to treat it realistically you cannot evaluate it as well you know he's got a lot of equity in the program and he's you know, no you've got to wipe the slate clean will they do that 
Probably not. But they've got to do something different, at least one thing different to give give their players hope, let alone their fans. I mean, geez. Yeah, I thought, and you alluded to this before, Scott, I thought some, you know, once Michigan got, Michigan got up 14-3 to three and then was dealt some poor field position, it didn't take chances. After the interception by Campbell, it kind of said, all right, we're going to wait here and then take our shots and get, you know, we're not afraid of the Iowa offense. And to yeah. Michigan's credit, I mean, Iowa second quarter, um, well, actually at the end of the first quarter, starts on its own 33, then its own 41, then its own 45, and nothing. Yeah. Did not take advantage of any of those drives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's and not- you can't do that in a game like this. Mm-hmm. And those possessions it- went, what, six plays for 14 yards, four plays for 15 yards, three plays for six yards. And the problem is, it, it, it's not so much the play calling. It's, it's, the, it's everything. It's not just. You know, I mean, people want Brian Ferentz's head on a platter. It's not all Brian. It's the system. It's the system that's done. It's 90s, 1990s right now. And you can still run a zone blocking scheme. Sure. It's hard to master. And it's more difficult to master than even like gap blocking. But you can still run it. But you got to do something different with your passing game to make sure it it moves forward and and the passing game to me is unwieldy it just doesn't work it's too difficult for the quarterback it's too difficult for the receivers if it's if it's and it doesn't allow any of the athletic ability these receivers have to really shine very regularly so that's where they need to go back to the drawing board they need to just investigate maybe it's you know brian's good friends with bill (laughs) o'brien down at alabama Maybe spend some time with him. Maybe go to a couple other places. Figure it out because you're going to have to change that. It, if you don't, you're going to be in the same damn position every year, which is a really good team but can't win a big one at whatever level that is. That's Can't get past Wisconsin, can't win the Big Ten Championship, and you're kind of relegated to this good tier of teams that wins games but doesn't win championships. And and that's a dangerous area because it's you're you're still a good team and you're not gonna, you know, you don't want to fire the coach or anything like that. But what you want to do is give yourself a shot, give yourself a chance. And and unless you have a do-it-all quarterback that's even north of what CJ Beathard brought, you're you're gonna be in this eight to 10, 11 win range, which is a good year, but once in a while, you want to break through. Once in a while, you want that championship. This wasn't the year for it, but there are years where they can get it. Yeah, it lowers your ceiling. It, it yeah. really does. It's just it, it caps where, um, you know, we saw it this year in those three games, the, the Purdue game, the Wisconsin game, and Michigan game. They were all pretty similar. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you – uh, those defenses were were good defenses, and they kind of exposed Iowa. Um, you know, they they were not threatened by Iowa's offense at all, and uh, took advantage of it. And uh, yeah, like you said, I mean, Michigan's not running. Michigan's not running five wide and spreading. I mean, they have some 
really cool. I, I went back and watched some really cool concepts, some some really well designed plays. Um, and I just I think Iowa has the ability to get more creative out of what it does foundationally from a base. But we'll see. We'll see if that happens in this offseason. Because something probably needs to change if you're going to raise that ceiling. Yeah. They got to change it. They, they, they have to. You can't just languish at the, the numbers. You know, Iowa, I, I do know this, that Iowa is not a, a – Iowa style of offense and Iowa style of play is not a friend to the analytics, to the numbers, to the, you know, one – you know, they're ranked whatever, 128th, 123rd, whatever it is, in, in all these different categories, that's way, way, way too low. Now, if they get into the 60s, you know, and, and some fans will say, oh, I can't believe we're only – well, that's different. You know, that you're not an air raid style. You're not going to generate all kinds of points or numbers because you do play complementary football with your defense. But I, it, there's, there's just so much that – you know, the scheming, the routing, the the spacing, the the it just it feels wooden. It feels like again an old rusty car out there. It's too hard. Just, it yeah. just looks too hard. You know, getting like two first downs, it's kind of like it's kind of like those baseball games when you play against a pitcher and you're not hitting and you get to first base and it's like Wow, we got to first base. I see that with the Cubs in the playoffs the last handful of years. But and that's the way this offense is with the first down. It's like, wow, they got a first down. And you can't be that way. I mean, you you know, your defense is good enough and your special teams is elite enough to where you could play games in 20 or less and you feel like you got a really good chance to win. And if if Iowa brought its offense and had an offense that was capable of competing they wouldn't have given up 42 points. It was just to that point where, you know, when the dam bursts, it bursts on your defense. I, I remember that at Wisconsin in 2017 when, you know, they really fought. <laughs> it was Josh Jackson putting up points and the <laughs> offense not doing a damn thing. And finally it was just like um, when that Leon Jacobs recovered a, a fumble and returned it for a touchdown, it was 24-14. It was like, it's off. You can't, you get 66 yards, you got to do something. And, and it's cumulative at this point. 2020 was the, was the outlier when it comes to 4.6 yards per carry. The getting under four, three out of the last four years is, is what the trend says. And so they've got to figure out how to get more. Cause you know, even if, you, if I, I want to know why, if the zone is, is so effective, then why is it that Wisconsin can constantly get five yards of carry and Iowa gets less than four? That, that to me, there's just, they, they've got to value. If you want everybody to look in the mirror, you, they got to start doing that on offense legitimately and saying, we have to change to get better. Everybody else is changing. We're the ones not. And that's why, what, eight out of the 10 opponents against Iowa, I think it's, I think it's either seven or eight, they scored two touchdowns or less against Big Ten opponents. The only ones they scored more than two was Maryland, of course, uh, Penn State, and I think um, maybe Minnesota, but I'd have to look. And um, and those were big plays. So <laughs> I think Minnesota was one. Let's see, it was uh, Charlie Jones had a big long one. And, uh, Megan Johnson had uh, – No, you're uh, right. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're and right. Then, Padilla maybe had a run or something, but either way, they didn't sustain drives. So 
they've got it. They've got to just strip it all down and redo it. Can the staff do it? Can Kirk do it? Can Brian do it? Can Ken do it? I, I, my, I, I'm not quite there. Yeah, and we can address the elephant in the room. It's Kirk. It really is. I mean, he he allowed Phil after that Wisconsin game to modernize his defense. Yeah. This one's closer to home because Kirk is involved in the offense. This is his baby. Will he adjust? Will he modernize, modernize his offense? And it comes down to, I really thought, and I wrote this when Brian was hired as offensive coordinator, if anybody could get him to modernize it, to ch- make the necessary changes, it was, would be Brian. And that hasn't happened. So yeah. have we reached the point, or is he going to say, listen, we won 10, we were 10 and two with what we're doing. Yeah. Do we really need to change? It's going to be fascinating to see how it's approached this offseason. Yeah, absolutely. And the yin and yang of Iowa's two most popular sports are almost exactly the same in completely opposite ways. You look at basketball. What did everybody say? Why Iowa's not going to the Final Four? Defense. Has anything changed there? No. They can say, well, yeah, we put more of an emphasis on it. No, he didn't. I mean, okay, you worked harder, had more fundamentals, but it still cost you in those big games. In Iowa football, it's the exact opposite, but it's the same stubborn style, which is it's offense. And, again, I I don't have a problem with risk-averse strategy. you got great defense. you got great special teams. Let's play to what are the strengths and our advantages. Don't do anything stupid here. Um, I think Wisconsin got, does that. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Except for uh, half the year this year, you know, all I got to screw that up. But, but I, I think you can employ that strategy, but you've got to have something. And I, I think the markers that Iowa has to say, if you want to use it numerically, is one, 4.5 yards per carry is non-negotiable. We have to hit that mark. How do we hit that mark? And two, 62% of your uh, completion percentage is non-negotiable. How do you hit that mark? And then, you know, to me, those, those are just, you've got to make sure you hit that. And then the other one is the hidden element is you've got to have a quarterback who can make plays on his feet because in a pro style offense, third and five, nobody's open. You better have a quarterback who can get six yards, dive, belly flop, whatever for that first down. Um, they've got one guy who's played who can do that. Another guy who can't really. Um you know, so going into the bowl game, I think you make this kind of an open audition for those two. And then, you know, and Spencer's used the phrase business. Uh, this is business, you know, between those two. And it's, it's right on as well. And because um, I don't know, Rob, I, I think when you look at to January, I'd be surprised if both quarterbacks are there. And I don't I'm not making a prediction. I'm just saying I'd be surprised because they're going to have to they're either going to have to say, look, you're our starter and you're not, or it's completely open. And if you're Spencer and you're going in your final year as a player, do you really want to, uh, Hey, I got to work for this. And you already, you've already got my resume. So you're basically saying my resume is not good enough. Um, and then how does this figure in with, with Joey Labus or Carson May? And 
And, and then beyond that, how do you, you, you it's so difficult that it kind of it forces everybody into this square box that they can't get out of as a quarterback. So I, I don't know. I'm rambling. I, there's a lot no, of thoughts. No, you're making a lot of sense. And yeah, I, I kind of read between the lines how Alex asked, answered that question after the Michigan game when asked about, you know, the future. And, and uh, I don't know if you would ask that question, but he was, he, I can't remember exact words, but basically he was saying, we're going to need to know, yeah. you know, the coaches are going to have to let us know where we stand after yeah. the bowl game. So um, it'll be interesting to see how they handle bowl prep. Do you start it now? If you're going to have a competition start, why not, why not use these 15 practices? Let's start now. Yeah, for sure. You've got to, you've got to make it a competition. You've got to see, you got to give them a true evaluation because, you know, Spencer's now at 18 starts, uh, 13 and five, uh, a good record, but you know, that, that the thing is coaches talk out of both sides of their mouth when it comes to this. They attach the record to a starting quarterback if they're good, but then they say, oh, but it's everybody else when they, when they don't win. And, uh, and in this case, you know, Alex Padilla is what, 3-0 and when he starts. So uh, nobody's given him those types of plaudits. I, I think you, you've got to start now. You've got to allow them to compete. Um, maybe not that you, you don't want to win the bowl game, but, man, maybe you need to just say, we need to see what we got here. And it might be uh, every other series, every couple of series, and then maybe in the second half settle on a guy. Um, and then I think you also got to see what you got in Joey Labus because, you know, now Kirk's not going to retire this year. He's done, And it looks like he might be here for a few more years at least. Don't you want to um, – don't you want to maximize your final couple of years? And if you've got a freshman on your roster that's the best quarterback, make sure he plays. Make sure he wins that job. And he's made those tough decisions in the past. It's just sometimes it's hard to buy into it. You know, like, um, you know, he made the tough decision with Nate Stanley over Tyler Weegers, both as a backup and as a starter. If Joey Labus is the best one, run with it. And, you know, he might cause both of them to leave, but, I think you, you've got to make the best decision for this program, both in the short term and long term. Yeah, and the Stanley comparison is good because he started his second year on campus. Yeah. This will be Labus's second year on campus. So, um, yeah, if he's the best guy for the job. Um, but I think it all comes back to what we talked about a few minutes ago, Scott. If the offense is going to be the same, mm-hmm. run the same way that it's been run, I'm not sure it matters who's playing quarterback. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Because it's it's all it's all too scripted, it's all too forced, it's all too big me, little you, almost. In in college football, on offense, it, you know, it's regimented, but it's it's more like basketball than it ever was before. Which is let your best players make plays, make, let them make plays on the ball on the outside, put your playmakers in space, allow them to do what they do well, trust them to do that. Um, I thought Noah Fant was an underutilized player because he he had supreme athletic ability. T.J. Hawkinson was a great player too. They neither one of them should have left the damn field in my eyes. But but particularly with when you look uh, at last year, Scott, I thought Brandon Smith, Amir Smith, Marset, Tyron Tracy, they were all underutilized last yes. year. Yes, 
Absolutely. Um, and was that part of quarterback? You know, the quarterback couldn't get the ball there, or was that scheme, or was I think it was at all of it? And that's the problem. So it's um, always something with Iowa's uh, offense. Right. I mean, this isn't 2002. <laughs> you know, the, the, everybody has changed. It used to be 4 3, sledgehammer in the middle. You know, you had your Andy Katz and Moyer type, you know, your big 250 pound sledgehammer linebacker. And you figured, you know, our offensive line is more athletic than their defensive line and their front seven. And our guy will find the hole. Well, that's fine. And I, I still like that style, but you, it's, it's harder to perfect. And, you know, if you're going to do that, you've got to be good at some of the parts of the game that's outside of that. Now they finally decided that bootlegs are important. Well, they need to be perfect, perfect that if you're going to try to stretch all the time. Or um, screen game. Iowa screen game's bad. It's really bad. And it shouldn't be because if you've got an offensive line that moves, it needs to be good. And, and so those are the things that they need to maximize if they're going to continue the zone run scheme. And then, and then offensively in the passing game, you know, now I'm not a coach, I'm not a wizard on this one, but I know what I see it, that they're just not getting anything out of it. They've got to do more. They've got to, they've got to make it easier. And I think if they make it easier, then I think it'll make it better. So it just seems too regimented for, for any kind of max, especially if you don't have a quarterback that can't complete 64, 65% of his passes. No question. Well, it's an important month for Iowa football both uh, in bowl preparation. Um, and we'll talk more about the bowl as we get closer to it. No need to start diving into that yet. And uh, also in recruiting for Iowa football. So very important next month or so uh, for Iowa football. Let's hop over to basketball, Scott. Uh, Iowa got the big win last Monday at Virginia, then uh, opened Big Ten play Friday at Purdue. Uh, gave the now number one Boilermakers all they wanted in that game, fall, fell short. Uh, and then the other night um, against Illinois, lost at home. So 0-2 in the Big Ten. Uh, I think if anything that came out of these two games, it's we kind of – and, you know, it's not – this isn't like breaking news – it was tough to see Iowa's weaknesses in that early season schedule against that competition. Now we kind of see it in these last two games, particularly on Monday when you had a big physical team in Illinois just dominated on the boards. Now Iowa knows what it needs to do. Can it fix those issues? That's kind of what it has to ask itself moving forward. It's not going to be a great rebounding team. Uh, Wieskamp was a really good rebounder. I think people forget how good he was on the boards and obviously Luca. So they need to figure that out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they need to figure it out. Um, it, you know, <laughs> Illinois had almost 30 more rebounds than yeah. Iowa. Obscene. And, and I, yeah, that, and you know what, though? that That's probably to be expected. I mean, you know, Coburn is – he was a monster last year even against Garza. So why wouldn't he be a monster – against Iowa now, but, uh, but you've got to maximize your other abilities and around them. I, I don't, I didn't come away from either game thinking, 
oh man, this is such a terrible team. You, you've got to approach it almost realistically that they lost significant pieces. I mean, you know, Garza and Wieskamp, they're NBA guys. They're drafted, you know, they're, they're, Iowa doesn't have those types of players. And so you just can't. And then, you know, you look at a, um, the CJ Frederick, who's unfortunately hurt for Kentucky, but you know, he left and he was a good three point shooter. And um, this is a different team. And and I do like a lot of what they're doing. I think they, they've actually impressed me more, even though they lost these games than what I, uh, than what I thought. I, I thought after those six games, they would just kind of get beat at Virginia, get blown out at Purdue, and then lose what they like they did against Illinois. Um, but to lose only by four at home to Illinois at this point of the season is, is not the end of the world. To, to fight back the way they did against Purdue on the road, I thought showed a lot of heart and, and also some ability. So I I you know I'm I'm not I, I think what they need though, they you know they need to they can't give up 11 threes against Illinois. You know, that's, that's the problem for me is that if you're giving up 11 threes, you really have no chance to win against a team that has just such a dominant post. They've got to be a better there, but, but outside of that, and, and of course they need to shoot better. I mean, you know, you can't, you can't shoot uh, what, <laughs> what, what, what ended up being 45%. That's not horrible, I guess, but, but still you got to be better there. You don't have a lot of room for error when you are so clearly deficient at that one position. So overall, I'm not disheartened at all by this team. And I I think, you know, tonight's game against Iowa State will tell us a lot about where it's going forward. Um, I expect a really tenacious effort. I expect a lot of uh, heckling of uh, Jordan Bohannon, (laughs) to say the least. But uh, I don't know. What what are your takeaways from – the Hawkeyes thus far you know you don't want to I'm full of cliches today but you don't want to yeah. s- cry over spilled milk but uh <laughs> Jack Nungy averaging seven rebounds and almost two blocks for Xavier this year against real good competition they've played a pretty tough schedule yeah. that's the one that hurts um it hurts hurt to lose Frederick but you look at Perkins and Euless and Iowa's depth in the backcourt not huge Nunji in the middle of that with Keegan and Patrick and, you know, you know, if you look at the lineup with Nunji in it, it's a lot different. That's the one that hurt. And I don't blame Jack. I understand his reason for going, but that one really hurts. So uh, for me, the interesting thing, Scott, is uh, just kind of developments in this backcourt that I don't think I saw coming this early. And that is the play of Aaron Euless and Tony Perkins and what they're bringing to this team as two-way players. And we've talked, you mentioned it before in the football comparison about Iowa lacking defense in terms of basketball. These are guys, these are two-way players, as are Patrick McCaffrey and Keegan Murray. You know, you have those four guys on the court as as two-way players. I'm just wondering how Fran handles this. Um, because you got to kind of massage a six-year senior here in Jordan Bohannon. Um, is his role changing? Um, because you have to have that flexibility if what you're seeing is, you know, if what you see, you know, justifies you making a change, you've got to make that change. You can't worry about egos here. For sure. And, you know, and then there are other issues too. And when you have two sons playing, that that adds a level of, of difficulty that you're never going to get away from. 
I mean, you know, no matter what the minutes are or what have you. Um, what I see potentially here with, with Aaron Eulis and Tony Perkins with, say, Joe Toussaint, it's not unlike the football situation where you had Arlen Bruce, Keegan Johnson, and Tyrone Tracy. Um, this was Joe Toussaint's team going into this year. That's why Jordan Bohannon moved off the ball. Um, and, you know, he didn't have a very good night the other night. You know, he was, you know, he scored two, two points, one of seven shooting, um, you know, only played 16 minutes, Toussaint did. But Ulysses and, and Perkins in particular, I really think Perkins is is really kind of exploded as, as a really good scorer. But yeah, but Ulysses managing the game, you know, it, you know, he had seven assists, <laughs> no turnovers. Ulysses did. You've you've got to allow it to be organic, and you know, by both minutes and style. And I think so far he's ha- he has done that. And if hey, if Ulysses and Perkins become better options for you you can't worry about who was bestowed what position or who came back for their sixth year or whether dare I say you know your sons are playing you know in the backcourt you've got to make sure you do what's best for this team and um and I would not constrain at all Ulysses and Perkins if they're playing this well and I think they did the other day that you've got to make sure they get their minutes because if they're playing well now how are they going to play in February you want to see that trajectory go up. And if the other guys aren't going to meet them there, then they need to pass it. You know, it doesn't mean they can't play. It just means that the minutes have to be commensurate with what, what you see in games and in practice. And the interesting thing the other night, and, and again, I'm one of those people that's like, it's, I, I don't get overly wrapped up in who's starting, you yeah, know, it's, right. it's, it's who plays more minutes, but, Iowa started pretty slow the other night against Illinois with it, with its first team lineup out there. And then the second team came in and got them back in the game. It's important to start fast in games. And that's the decision Fran's got to make. Can I, is, you know, can I feel out how Toussaint and Bohannon are playing by starting them and then get an idea? Okay. Because then it may be too late. I mean, if you're down 10, 12 points, sometimes that's tough to make up against the better teams. Or do I start with the guys that are going to keep us in the game from the jump and then bring those other guys off the bench as change of pace? Because I think Toussaint can be a change of pace guy. And I think Bohannon, obviously, with his offense, if he's on, you bring him off the bench, you know, he's Vinny Johnson. That's going to be a really poor reference for the younger crowd yeah. just look up Vinny Johnson microwave. microwave exactly but yes. you know it's just going to be interesting to me you know if roles change and how they may change moving forward here um Perkins is seven of 13 from three mm-hmm. you know it's he's not a last year I thought at times he was and it was his first year and it was COVID he was an offensive liability at times um, but he and Aaron Eulis have both been really, you know, good defensive players from the jump. And now Aaron Eulis is showing the ability to take guys off the dribble, have a mid-range game. And, and I don't want to give Joe Toussaint credit, too. His offensive game has evolved. He's, he's got that little turnaround that he's kind of developed. Um, I just think it'll be interesting to see how Fran puts this together, how he puts these pieces together, and how it may, you know, evolve over the season. And, and how he how he handles it if he continues with this and then plays the hot hands, 
Um, because like I said, if you get off to slow starts because your starters aren't playing well, um, right now Aaron Eulis and Tony Perkins are the more consistent of those two, of those four guys. They're they're more consistent than Toussaint and Bohannon right now. Yeah. And and you've got to figure in what are their advantages. Um, you know, Jordan Bohannon, uh, and since he's not playing the point anymore, his – He's there to be the designated three-point maker. Well, if if Tony Perkins can hit those shots, those same shots, more consistently, he's a more he's a better player all around than Jordan is right now. Um, you know, with a higher upside, certainly. You don't want to curtail that. You know, so I, I think you put that out there. Now, one one player that fascinates me, I thought he played really well against Purdue. He didn't play well at all against Illinois, and that was Josh Agudele, because I think he's he's taken a lot of strides, and that's really important and impressive. You know, this year, because you get him on the floor, I mean, he only played two minutes the other day, but I thought he battled, um, certainly against Purdue. And um, I think the better he plays, the better position he is for next year. And, and I think that's important. And but one one other player I really like that I, I you know and th- this is the dilemma Fran always seems to have is how to spread your minutes out. But Peyton Sanford, um, not you know at this point I would call him like a poor man's Joe Wieskamp, but I think he has that kind of ability, you know. And and you don't want to keep him on the bench if he's able to step in a game and impact it. So um, I, I think it's in some ways though. It, it may be frustrating in the minute if they lose, but I would, I'm intrigued by this team. I, I think it's got a chance to, once it starts streamlining things and, and getting more formation to be a pretty good entertaining game, team this year. And so I'm probably more, even though they lost those last two games, I'm probably higher on them than I was even before they, they played them. Yeah. They play their asses off, and they play till the end, and that's a good sign. If they can stay engaged like that, they're going to have a chance to to win some games this year. Um, and then just to close the thought on uh, on the guard play, um, and, and Jordan's going to have easier assignments defensively, um, both de- him defending and the guys that are de- defending him, but trying to shoot again, you know, at West Lafayette, he Jaden Ivey just basically did not let him get a shot. And then Trent Frazier was basically in his shorts the other night, the, wherever he went. Um, you know, you play the Big Ten. It's not going to be like – we talked about it last week, I think, Scott. Against Virginia, we were like, did Virginia have a scouting report on the six-year senior and, yeah. and know that he can shoot threes? They left him open all night. That did not happen against Purdue in Illinois. And it's going to be like that a lot. The, the, the Big Ten teams aren't going to let him get open looks. So then how does that factor in? And then to your point about Agundale, I took photos the other night of Rebracha guarding Kofi and <laughs> Agundale guarding Kofi. And to me, that, that was the difference. And I think Phillip's playing the best he can. He's undersized. He's doing what he can in going up in the level of competition quite a bit from where he was. But Josh is a big body, and I'm with you. When when there's a big guy, you know, Zach Eady, uh, Kofi Coburn, uh, Hunter Dickinson, you may have to lean a little bit more on a Gundelay. Yeah. You're just going to have to hope he plays defense and doesn't foul immediately. 
you know, and, and if you're going to foul, make sure it's a hard foul. There's no and ones. Um, and you maximize your fouls. I, I love this word for some reason, maximize, but, <laughs> but, you know, don't bump somebody, you know, you, you, you knock the shit out of them. Um, and, you know, now tonight, I think for Rebraca, I think he's got a, a decent matchup. I, I don't think Iowa State's really imposing in the post, uh, not like what like uh, the last two opponents, certainly. Um, the backcourt's going to get, you know, have a handful there with Brockington and Hunter and, and Kaljar. But, or, uh, but you know, they're, they're really going to – I think this is an entertaining game, and I want to see him compete because – we know both Gannon is going to get his lunch from the fans and it's going to be an intense environment that is intense as they'll ever fa- they'll face all year. Um, how they handle runs and aims and how they respond. And if they pull out a win tonight, then I think that's probably tells you a lot about this team's trajectory for this season. Yeah. And I think those two losses, this past week, you know, Friday and Monday, really put more emphasis. If you're looking big picture, if you're looking, you know, quality wins that you're going to need, because now Iowa is up against it. It's got to go 10 and eight in its remaining big 10 games just to get 500 in the league. And that's kind of the, the cutoff point most years, especially right. when you don't have an out of conference schedule that is helps build your resume. This is a really important game tonight, Scott. And I saw Virginia lost at James Madison the other day. So Mm -hmm. that takes a little bit of starch out of that win. This is a really important game because after this, they do have Utah State up in Sioux Sioux Falls, I think, a week next weekend. And then then they play a couple tomato cans again, two or three tomato cans before they get back in the Big Ten play. So really have to maximize these next two games. They, they, I almost think they're, I, you know, you don't want to say must wins because it's too early in the season for that, but where they're positioned now in the big 10, these last two or these next two non-conference games really have a lot of emphasis on building a resume. Well, sure. And Iowa state is, it doesn't matter if it's a ranked opponent or they're winless. I mean, it matters. It matters in the state and, and you can't minimize that at all. But I think the fact that they are undefeated and 17th and it's a nationally televised game, it's going to tell you ever a lot of people about Iowa and it's really important and, and they need to hit big shots. Um, you know, Utah state, it, it's a, it's a less, it's not really a high profile game. It's the location that I think makes it interesting uh, being in Sioux Falls. And then as you plus said, com- plus compared to the other <laughs> non-conference games, yeah, at least Utah right. state has a pulse. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Although my mighty Leathernecks, they play yeah, Western true. Illinois. I'm true. I'm so beholden to them. Well, not really, but <laughs> after, after losing a Pell Grant by $7 my senior year. <laughs> They asked me for money, and I'm like, nope, nope. You you penalized me for having two jobs. My <laughs> at least we know you don't hold the grudge, Scott. No, never <laughs> again. I will give my money to anybody else but them because of that. And um, and uh, actually, I have no idea when they play or who they play. I I got the piece of paper. That's all that matters. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but you know, even when they come out of that. Uh, the break and, and they start in January. They got Maryland at home without a coach. That's pretty wild. Um, Danny Manning. Um, they go to Wisconsin. That's never easy. Um, Wisconsin's playing well this year. Yeah, they are. Uh, Indiana at home. 
Indiana, you got to respect their ability. And then, and then at Minnesota and at Rutgers. So uh, the big 10 is the big 10, you know, you're just going to have to, there's, I'm looking at the schedule and I'm going, okay, maybe Penn state on January 22nd is one where you can go. Yeah. They probably should win that game. Um, the rest of them could go either way and not, they could win them. They could lose them, but you know, what kind of meat grinder you're up against. So yeah, they have to um, win these games and, and, put themselves in a good position. If they win at Iowa state and then they beat Utah state, then they go undefeated in their non-conference. They got to win at Virginia, which again, as you said, this isn't the Virginia from two years ago, uh, but it's also on the road, you know, at a, at a program that'll probably improve somewhat. I I think uh, it, it will help kind of wipe away the stench of these tomato cans that they've decided to, to, beat up on, you know, for the first two months. Entertaining game in Ames last night. That kind of uh, set the bar pretty high for tonight's game. Um, Iowa State, I believe, ended a five or six game losing streak against the Hawkeyes. Um, Really entertaining game. A lot of lead changes, a lot of ties, um, some fun play. Two of the better players in the country in Iowa's Caitlin Clark and Iowa State's Ashley Jones. so that was a really good game, Scott. Got to watch that with my 11-year-old who started playing basketball, and she was uh, she was into it until uh, Iowa State pulled away at the end, and then she left mad. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, I I love it when kids get feisty like that. Uh, my son, my son liked uh, the Patriots all those years. His name's Braden, but we've always called him Brady, and so he at a very young age got uh, into Tom Brady, and then when uh, they were losing the giant Super Bowl, the first one and the second one. And then, and then even the Seattle game, he'd just get up and leave the room. And, and uh, that's <laughs> Seattle one. I'm like, you got to sit there and support your team. <laughs> and then of course they had the interception at the goal line. And he's like, you're right. You're right. I'm like, yeah. so I, I get it. <laughs> I know it's exactly what you went through, but I, I, uh, you know, I'm sure uh, it, 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 you know, you got two, standing teams that could be in the sweet 16 and who knows they could meet eventually in in the postseason which would be a heck of a matchup uh, uh you know the fouls were there was a disparity in fouls and you got to expect that on the road but it might have been a little higher than what we thought it should be likewise you have uh you know the jones factor you know they're from iowa city and then you have caitlin clark who's actually who's from central iowa so you have that part of it um Great theater, terrific players, terrific game. Um, yeah, men have a lot to, to to reach that level again. They have a lot to to do to to make this an important matchup. I mean, you look at the Iowa Iowa State games this year in the in the primary sport, even wrestling. You know, got a little feisty there at yeah. the end, and uh, so this is the last real big one. And um, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm actually I'm going so. Uh, I haven't been into a big basketball atmosphere like this in quite a while. Yeah, Wes Mackey was awesome the other night. Um, hadn't been there in a while, and that's just a great home environment, and that's why it's such a tough place to play. You mentioned wrestling. wanted to mention this before we get out of here. Uh, passing a former Iowa wrestler, longtime Iowa City West coach, impacted a lot of lives. Didn't know Mark Ryland real well, um, interviewed him and talked to him a few times, knew 
knew his dad, Marv, a uh, longtime athletic director at Iowa City West for a long time. Uh, Mark passed away and uh, really want to give condolences to the, the Ryland family and all the, the friends and the wrestling community. Um, big loss, big loss in the state, big loss for the sport. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, my son graduated from West, uh, you know, in 2017. So, you know, we knew the, the Rylands and this is uh, this is a big loss for everybody. Um, anybody that knew him knew, you know, just how, you know, just how great he was as a person and also as a, as a coach and how influential he was and the whole family. So absolutely. They have our, our condolences and um, yeah, this is a tough one. This is a tough one for everybody because he was really well-respected. Yeah. And just uh, looking at some of the reaction from Tom Brands, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they honor him in some way moving forward with this, with this, uh, with this season and hopefully can kind of, highlight what he meant to you know Iowa City University of Iowa the sport hopefully people get to know kind of what his impact was through the Iowa wrestling program which has uh the ultimate stage in the sport yeah absolutely um yeah it would be good I'm sure they'll have a moment of silence and who knows maybe they'll have some some sort of banner I think West High should as well um and I'm sure they will so it's yeah it's a real loss and it's it's Really, the, the timing is really unfortunate. Only a couple of weeks before Christmas and the holiday period, it, it's it's tough. I, yeah, very very sad. I think. Yes, rest in peace to to Mark Rowland. Sorry, uh, tough loss for the family and for the community and for the sport of wrestling. So, um, well, he'll be remembered fondly, though, and uh, I'm sure he'll be honored, as you said, from West High and uh, University of Iowa. And uh, sorry to get out of here on a sad note, Scott, but uh, just wanted to make sure we got that in there. And Iowa wrestling is off to good start. Did get that win over uh, in Ames on Sunday night. A um, little bit of a kerfuffle after that. <laughs> I, got, I was actually watching it, but I couldn't really tell on TV uh, what started it or what happened. But uh, I'm all for it. It's great theater. It's <laughs> If it, it, it's it's not WWE, but damn, it's close. And and I know there are a lot of people psyched to watch this documentary on the brands. And, and uh, you know, I'll tell you what, there is nobody more real, no group of people more real than the brands brothers. What you see is what you get and you get high intensity and, and <laughs> theater uh, every day and every conversation. And it's, it doesn't matter if you're talking about school or wrestling it's it, it, sometimes you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't really ask that, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's fun. And it, it's, and Iowa wrestling, man, there's, there's, they're on the top. And, you know, the, that's the one thing I always enjoyed about it is they either, you either love them or hate them. And there's really no ambiguity with how you feel about Iowa and wrestling. And Certainly the other day in Ames and Kevin Dresser, former Iowa wrestler being there, uh, has really added some value and some starch to that rivalry. And I'm, I'm happy about it. Yeah. Brett Metcalf. I saw him there too. So you always have those, you know, the, a lot of former Iowa wrestlers that are, are leading programs around the country. And I think it's a good sign because let's face it, the Iowa, Iowa state rivalry has fallen off a little bit. 
not it's never going to fall off completely, but the competition wasn't as tight. It looks like, you know, the dresser Metcalf staff um, starting to starting to get Iowa State back in the picture again. And that's good for wrestling, not only in the state, but in, the you know, across the country. For sure. Yeah. I mean, between them and, you know, you, you want to see the perennial powers be, you know, be good because it makes the sport better, more entertaining. And when you have rivalries that matter and matchups that matter and, and, you know, like the loudest duel or loudest moment I, I can remember was a few years ago, Iowa Penn state at, at uh, Carver and, um, you know, and then you, you just, it, every match was at a fever pitch. So it, it was uh yeah, Keber, I think it was against Mark Hall, get a late takedown yep. and that place. I mean, the decibel level was like 110. I mean, it was just, it was crazy uh, how loud it was. And, and so I, I think you want that. And if it's Iowa State, yeah, you could, you could hate them. It's more fun to hate them when they're good than when they're not, because then it's irrelevant. And, uh, I, I still wish they, they wrestled you and I, but I don't know. There's something there that I haven't bothered to ask about. And if you ask the brands, it might get a, a surly response. Yes. <laughs> Better than average chance of that happening. Good home yeah. duels this year for Iowa, too. Penn State comes back to town, so that'll be fun. Uh, Minnesota with Gable Stevenson's coming to town. So a lot of yeah. good. I know they're sold out, but you can probably get tickets on the secondary market, and I imagine those games will, or duels will be on TV, too. So oh, yeah, pay, pay attention to Iowa wrestling, um, men's and women's basketball, um, Again tonight is that a FS1 game tonight, Scott? For the Iowa State, uh, Iowa uh, game. Yes, ESPN two. Okay, so ESPN two tonight at eight o'clock Central Time. Check that out if you're listening to us before that. And uh, I guess that'll do it for this episode, Scott. Um, check out all of Scott's work on the Athletic. He's got coverage of uh, Xavier Wongpa's commitment yesterday. Uh, good coverage on that. He's going out to do a story on Aaron Graves. So check that out as well. And uh, we will be back to talk to you next week on the Hawkeye Hotspot podcast. Say goodbye, Scott. Goodbye, Scott.